The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were beside the sea, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. And at this time, I invite all the young and young at heart forward for a special message.
come looking for me, not because you saw the sign, but because you ate your fill. You filled yourself up on bread and fish. I asked this question where you where have you seen God this week as a reminder that the signs are all around us. They're here. And we come to Jesus not because we've satisfied ourselves because we're fulfilled, but because we truly see the signs that God is doing here around us, here in this place, yes, and the friends and the family and the newborns that we see. Yes, in the vegetable garden and in the weeds, God is the one who provides and gives us everything that we need to get up in the morning, to go about our day, and to rest peacefully at night. We don't come looking for Jesus because we have our fill. We come for Jesus because we see the signs. We all pray for you. Gracious God, thank you for the signs that you've given us in this world. Signs of your love. Signs of your peace. Signs that you care for and love your people. Bless us and keep us in all good things. And help us to look for the signs of your work and your spirit here around. Now will you pray with me? Gracious God, you fed your people Israel in the wilderness and satisfied their every need. Satisfy our need, gracious God, for your spirit among us, for your peace within us. Feed us with your word. Feed us with the bread and wine that is your body and your blood. Bless us and keep us in all good things. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How many of you have heard of an elevator speech? A couple hands. For those of you who raised a hand, anybody want to share what it is? More silence. So for those of you who either didn't raise your hand or aren't aware, an elevator speech is something that they teach in uh, public speaking or um, they encourage uh, people going up for job interviews to, to practice these. And basically it's um, everything that you can to d- describe yourself or if you're um, a salesperson, your sales pitch, um, you know, any, any pertinent information that you're trying to convey to somebody else in the time that it takes to ride from the bottom floor to the top floor, the top to the bottom of an elevator. Um, because that's the amount of time that people normally take to gauge whether or not what you have to share with them is worth their time or not. And so when we turn to our scripture text this morning, none of them are elevator speeches, right? Um, from Exodus to the Psalm to Ephesians to our gospel reading in John, these texts are part of a larger story, a larger narrative, something much more than could ever be shared in the 30 to 45 seconds that it takes to ride an elevator with someone. But there's a reason that we take all these texts and we piece them apart from week to week. Because the thing about an elevator speech is it doesn't have to just be about 
one thing. It can be about any number of things that we want to convey to someone. And so here in our letter uh, from Paul to the church in Ephesus, we find tucked away in the fourth chapter a small piece of what Paul is trying to communicate with this faith community, an elevator speech, if you will. He's gone from talking about in the first three chapters to them what it means to be the church to now how do we do that? And this uh, fourth chapter, which we read from today, is, is the start of that transition. How do we live as a Christian community in this world? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. God's given us a gift, right? A calling to a life, a life that is united, joined together with God and with our sisters and brothers in baptism, knitted together by the Holy Spirit, given freely to and for each and every single one of us. And with that calling comes the gift and the opportunity to participate with God in maintaining these bonds of peace that keep us united together in Jesus. The very peace and the wholeness of God himself. And these are the gifts, the tools that we've been given to help do that. Humility, patience, gentleness, enduring with one another in love. Because in Jesus we've witnessed true humility and the power that it holds over condescending pride or boastful arrogance or a self-centered superiority. Through Jesus' example, we've been given an understanding of what it means to be gentle rather than harsh or violent. We've been given a patient spirit rather than an attitude of impatience or, or cold-heartedness or a short-tempered frustration. We've been taught through Jesus how to bear with one another in love rather than dismissing someone because of hatred or jealousy or apathy. These are the qualities, the virtues of Jesus himself given to us because of this gift that we share. This unity we have in the Holy Spirit provided to us, given for us in the gift of baptism. Jesus was gentle and patient with the sick and the suffering who flocked to his side. He was humble before those who would call him master and Lord. He loved those who betrayed him, nailed him to a cross, and crucified him, asking for their forgiveness. And we have been given all of these things for the purpose of making every effort 
to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the oneness that we have together as a community bound together in Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit who makes all this possible. It's the Spirit who gives us these gifts. It's the Spirit who calls us to participate in this good work. And this happens when we live out these these four characteristics, these four virtues, these four tools. Humility, gentleness, patience, and an enduring love. It's not just acting like Jesus. It's, It's imitating him. It's following him. Walking in his footsteps and doing as Jesus did. Letting the same mind be in us that was in him. And so we are to make every effort. We are to take everything that we have, everything that we are, and put it toward these goals. Being humble, being gentle, being patient. Loving one another as Jesus loved us himself. We can't be Christians. We can't be followers of Jesus on our own. We need one another to help foster these gifts, to live in this way. To share these gifts with other people. To promote this unity of the Spirit. To reinforce the bonds of peace. And that's the purpose of this all, right? Peace, wholeness. Being all of who God's called us to be together with our Christian sisters and brothers in the presence of God. As God's children, as Christ Church, we have peace with God and with one another and are bound to make peace a true realization in this world. Maintaining unity then is about more than just being together in one place or saying that we're friends with everyone or describing ourselves as one big happy family. It's about enduring with the people that we don't really care for. With the same love that Jesus has given us. It's about being gentle when all we want to do is let our anger show. It's about being humble when it's difficult to do so. And patient when our patience is wearing thin. Maintaining this unity is hard work. Because it's more than the niceties and the hey how are yous. we can do it right we have these gifts we've done it before I see it here all the time this is where I see God I get to see God every week when I stand in this pulpit because I get to look at all of you but we have to remember that it is hard work and it's a work that we don't bear alone It's a work we share together because it's the work that God has given us in the gift of baptism. Speaking of the gift of baptism, I've been following in the news, like I'm sure many of you have, the evolving story that comes from um, the Roman Catholic Church following the allegations of abuse that have implicated six 
Catholic diocese, including the one that we're situated in right now. Charges of sexual abuse and misconduct, charges of authority being used to cover up injustices and violence, the misused authority of the church abused to take advantage of the vulnerable in our midst. And so as much as our our local newspaper or the TV stations that have been covering this want to focus on the legal battle at hand and whether or not the names of these clergy and church officials should be released in a 900-page document from a grand jury, I want to ask, have any of you considered what this means for us? First and foremost, we need to say that this is wrong. No one should ever use their position of authority, their position of trust, to take advantage of another person. No one should ever have to misplace their trust in someone that they think they can confide in. No one should ever be taken advantage of or abused, especially in the name of the church. This entire abysmal hell that these people are living should never have happened. But it has. And here we are. So again, I ask if you consider what that means for us. What emotions come to the surface when you read the paper or hear the story flash up on the news? Anger? Grief? Despair, fear, that knot that forms in my stomach every time a new headline pops up on my phone. Some of you were once members of the Catholic Church. Do you wonder if you know any of these priests or any of these victims? Second, I want to say and affirm that whatever it is you're feeling, it's warranted. It's justified. Because this is wrong. And because it's not just a problem that the Roman Catholic Church is dealing with. It's a mark on the mission and the ministry of the whole church. Because if we really believe in this baptism that we share, if we really believe in the words... And the promise that was spoken and conveyed on young Charles last week. Then we know that we're a part of them. And they are a part of us. And that this is a sin that we all need to confess of and make sure that it never happens to anyone ever again. Because there is one body. One spirit. One hope. One Lord. One faith. One baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all, through all, and in all. We may not be Roman Catholic, but we are Christian, members of the same body. And their sin is our sin. We may not have committed these acts of abuse and violence ourselves, but we were joined with these abusers and their victims. In the same waters. 
There is no division, no separation. And as the church, we are one unit, one organism, one expression of God given for this world. And so we can't claim that we're oblivious or disconnected because we're one in Jesus. This life of faith, it matters. And we're held accountable for for pursuing the unity of the Holy Spirit in these bonds of peace. Christ died for us. And so we too die to our neighbor in need. Jesus told this crowd that pursued him, you did not come because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. But sisters and brothers, we're here because we are the sign. God's mark on this world that Jesus is the one who gives us these gifts, who makes peace a possibility, who strengthens those bonds of peace here and with the entire world. And so this text from Ephesians is more than just an elevator speech. It's a sermon. It's a hymn. It's a creed and a cry out for us to be who God has called us to be. A people of hope and trust. A people who follow the instruction and the footsteps of Jesus to see what kind of life we've been really called to. So maintaining the unity of the Spirit, the oneness of the church, is not a call for a cover-up. It is a call, however, to be humble enough to admit to these families and to all who would question the church in this time that this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of God. And we are going to use the church's gift of confession to name to our sisters and brothers the way that we have wronged them because our sins are our own. Ensuring these bonds of peace is not dismissing this this horrendous scandal as a Catholic problem or the object of our anger and disgust, but gently and compassionately reaching out to those who have suffered, showing them what it truly means To be loved by God and cared for by his church. Bringing an end to this this cycle of, of abuse and mistrust goes beyond saying, well, we're not like that. Because it means patiently hearing the anger and the frustration and the sorrow of those who have suffered at the hands of those in authority. It means taking up the roles of apostles who spread the message of God's love. It means... Taking up the roles of evangelists who proclaim in word and deed the good news of Jesus' resurrection from death and the new life to repentance that that calls us to. It means taking up the role, all of us, the role of pastor and teacher, guarding those who are under our care and guiding them to a place of healing and wholeness, speaking the justice of the prophets, making sure that the guilty are held accountable, the innocent are vindicated, and peace, true peace and wholeness, 
come to this world. And all of that means maybe the most difficult thing of all. Bearing with one another in love. Following Jesus to ask for forgiveness for those who have done wrong. Because we're all sinners for who Christ died. We're all in need of God's grace and mercy. May we find it in these times and trust in the signs that God has given us. That in Jesus Christ, we shall have it. Amen.